an all too common misconception is that these kids will be okay without, with just minimal intervention, without some direct, you know, intervention for them. But when that philosophy is enacted, students do not learn at the rate in which they're really able, but it's actually more than that. Sometimes we lose them. Today, we're having a conversation about gifted and talented programs. What are the opportunities? What are the challenges? What critical considerations do most people not think about? I think that's the whole point of this whole conversation as far as GT education goes, is you have to understand a student and accept that they're different. We're looking at what can happen when a gifted program is implemented thoughtfully and the impact it can have not just on those gifted students, but on other students as well. As educators, we absolutely need to meet the needs of our struggling students, but that cannot be at the expense of our more advanced students who are ready for more. From Frontline Education, this is Field Trip. Okay, Uh, my name is Kim Stewart, and I have been working in gifted education for about almost 25 years now. Kim works in Northside Independent School District in San Antonio. Today, in our conversation about gifted and talented programs, I'm happy to say that Kim has invited a former student to join us as well. Yeah, howdy. My name is Stephen McNerney. I was a GT student of Ms. Stewart in my elementary school days and then went through middle and high school in Northside School District in San Antonio. I'm now a sophomore aerospace engineering major at the University of Maryland College Park, but I'm away from school doing a co-op at NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. So I just need to acknowledge the fact that we've been producing this podcast for well over two years now, but this is the first episode we've ever done about gifted programs, and I wanted to hear from Kim. Give me the lay of the land. What are gifted programs all about? If you look, Google it, there are lots and lots of definitions, but typically we're looking at students who display high capability in one or more areas. Some of those areas might include intellectual, creativity, artistic, even leadership, could be exceptionally advanced in a specific academic area like math or science. But you're comparing this in relationship to same age peers with similar experience and background, which is critical in identifying gifted students. Oftentimes, the term asynchronous development is used when describing uh, giftedness, and that just generally means a child's development is somewhat out of sync with itself. In other words, one or more areas is typically more advanced than others. In our particular district, we're a very large district. Northside in San Antonio has roughly 106,000 students. And at this time, we have about 7.5% of our student identified as gifted. The goal with gifted programs, Kim said, is to ensure that every student learns and grows to their maximum potential. And what this looks like has really shifted over time. I honestly believe now is the best time, actually, to ever have been identified gifted. Giftedness as a a special diagnosis, if you will, really emerged back in the 70s, the mid-70s, is when it kind of came on into the educational scene. And so... There are lots of students still that are or districts still that will identify students, but not necessarily serve them in uh, particular ways. It's it's handled in a, a regular classroom where the teachers are expected to differentiate for these high high advanced learners. 
The problem with that, as you can imagine, is that when you have a general classroom with lots of different abilities, especially if you've got both ends of the spectrum, oftentimes teacher attention is going to need to be focused. It's just natural to get those kids who are maybe below grade level up to speed. And that oftentimes leaves our advanced learners in situations where they're utilized as peer tutors or they're going to read a lot of books, you know, just go read a book at your desk kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with reading books. We're all about reading. But the bottom line is that these kids, like all kids, again, our, our priority is to make sure that all kids grow to their maximum potential. When we don't address the needs of our advanced learners, that doesn't always happen. Stephen confirmed this. In elementary school, he would sometimes be asked to serve as a tutor and help other kids who didn't yet grasp the content like he did. And it's a double-edged sword because something that I've always been taught is that being able to teach other people or being able to turn around and share knowledge is a sign that you have a really firm and full understanding of that material in the first place. And so in that aspect, like it was beneficial for me because I learned how to absorb knowledge in one end and then turn around, package it up and be able to present it in another. And that was uh, a more full understanding than you would typically get. But by the same token, that meant that I was not able to engage in new content. I was just kind of regurgitating things that I already had. And so I've always enjoyed teaching other people. It's something I'd like to do. But when there would be days where that was kind of the expectation of me, if that becomes the norm, then there's a, a real ability to lose interest or to disengage from the learning environment because I'm not being challenged or stimulated. So that's where Ms. Stewart and my GT program came in is that it kind of bridged that gap of, yes, I was able to help out and able to, you know, help teach other people or able to sit and read, which is something I still do for fun to this day. But I needed that extra kind of challenge that the GT program that she in elementary school and then further teachers after that could provide. Teachers not being able to give intensive focus to GT students like Stephen isn't the only challenge facing gifted programs. Nationally, certain populations of students are underrepresented. Economically disadvantaged, special education, African-American students even, they are underidentified in our gifted programs. And so I'm really proud of some of the initiatives that we have been taking. First of all, we have been using local norms for as long as I can remember in efforts to combat this. And, and technically what that simply means is we give a COGAT test to all third graders. That is one of three standardized tests that Northside ISD uses in their gifted identification process. Remember what Kim said earlier. When identifying GT students, they want to compare results of same-age students with similar experience and background. So these tests allow them to look at the top 5 to 10% of students for each individual campus, which is a better measure than looking more broadly across the entire district. This, combined with universal screening pilots in the first and fifth grades at select campuses, is helping Northside better identify GT students in underserved populations. We're doing a better job today than we, than we did five years ago, I will say, in identifying underserved POPs. But this is, a, a I believe, a, an issue nationally. I've done a lot of reading on it, and it's not something that is um, necessarily something that we're struggling with only in Northside. It's something that gifted education in general is working towards. Another hurdle, Kim said, is how to meet the needs of gifted students in the regular classroom. 
Sure, they're pulled out of the classroom on a regular basis for enriched instruction in critical and creative thinking, but that only happens once a week. What about the rest of the time? One way they're addressing this is through something they call MACGT. And MAC is an acronym for Math and Clustering with GT Students. And this is what it's kind of our response and how we aim to meet the needs of our gifted students all day, every day, and not just that once a week during their pullout GT class. And essentially, the way it works is GT students are clustered with high ability math students who may not be identified for GT. They're just really good math is kind of their strength. And they're clustered together in their general education classroom. There's also going to be students of average ability in that classroom. But the goal is not to have students who have true learning deficits, those students who need a great deal of teacher attention in which to grow, because then the teacher, of course, is is going to have to spend her time bringing those kiddos up to speed. But when we have these teachers who have what we call, again, the MACGT group, we really try to give them a series of, of professional development trainings that really shows them how to, to work with kids that can move faster, that can understand things at a, a different level, a deeper level than you know your average, whatever grade you teach, your average grade level kiddos. Now, you may be thinking, Okay, that's great for the advanced learners, but doesn't it leave the rest of the kids behind? But the answer, Kim said, is no. We're really proud of the results that we've seen so far. Not just the kids in our MACGT classes, but what's what research had told us would happen, we're actually getting to see, and that is the kiddos who are not in the MACGT classroom, they have new leaders arising. Those kids who may have been kind of overshadowed by the GT kids, oftentimes we see our kids for better or worse, they just kind of sit in the background and let those GT kids answer or the not, not only GT kids, you know, the same kids like to raise their hands over and over. I know uh, Stephen knows a lot about that. For that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard that one coming from a mile away. Yep. <laughs> and, and the thing is, um, it's just a natural ability, I think, for teachers, you know, and, or not ability, natural instinct for teachers to choose the kids who are raising their hands. And that kind of gives permission to the other kids. They kind of know, hey, somebody else has me covered. And so when we pull those Mac GT kids out, those other classrooms were seeing new leaders arise. And that's good news. Yeah, for better or for worse, she's right. You know, when I was 10 or 12, I didn't have the social skills to understand that I was running other people out of the conversation. But I can look back now and say, oh, yeah, I answered way more questions than I should have. And to some extent, you know, it's hard to quantify now, but definitely was and could have been a barrier to other people wanting to get involved. And now I go to college and I'm not the smartest person in the room. And so I can see that those people kind of step up and want to be the ones to answer the questions and how everybody else takes a back seat. So it's interesting to see that in perspective. And yeah, I never got to be a part of that program, but it's very cool to hear that that's a thing that's happening now. We are really proud of that. But can I just say how proud I am to hear Stephen say things like this? I have this image of you and Stephen, you probably don't remember this. There's so many little things, you know, that happen when you're a kiddo. But Stephen did have great ideas. He was, you know, brilliant little boy, and he loved to share his ideas. And like lots of gifted kids, he thought his ideas were the best. And so... I don't like where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) And I do remember this one day where... um, he had a solution for a problem we were solving and it, it was a good one and it was going to work. But 
he had by this time kind of, I don't want to use the word alienated, but he had, he had made his, his classmates and a GT class is usually smaller. So we probably had, I don't know, six or seven kids in there, you know, with Stephen and it started with just me. <laughs> You're right. First grade. He was the only one. Anyway, I just remember him getting very upset and him saying, but my idea is best. It's gonna work. And I remember telling you, you know what, Stephen, it is. But the problem is, you always think your idea is the only one that's going to work and they don't want to hear it at this point. So hearing him talk about his growth and how he had to realize that, you know, there are other people with good ideas out there. It's a proud moment for me as a teacher. <laughs> yeah, GT Classroom is definitely a, a group of very dominant personalities. It is. Um, it is. Well, yeah. that's, it's interesting you you bring that up because I wanted to get a better sense from the two of you of of what life is like on a day-to-day basis for GT students. Just help me step into those shoes. Well, I mean, there's not, you know, a flashing light above my head that says GT and it's not, you know, something I'm taking medication for or, you know, needing to see a specialist for. It is a somewhat arbitrary label that gets slapped on me in elementary school, but was necessary to kind of help me grow as a student. So, you know, in elementary school days, it was, why does Steven get to leave during math class? And everybody else, you know, kind of stayed put. And then I could tell all these stories about, you know, things I've gotten to do in my alpha class. And everybody's like, well, that's cool, but maybe not as engaged by them as I was. As I went through middle and high school, it was less this label that like your GT, so you have to do all these GT things, but more of an acknowledgement that like, hey, let's pay attention because this guy and, you know, his peers who are also labeled as GT are going to want and need challenges to be successful. So whether that's you're going to see them involved in more clubs or asking for more work or like we talked about earlier, you know, just being the one to raise their hand all the time. It was just kind of more to have this understanding that like, hey, these are things that are going to happen. Sure, in middle and high school, there were some classes that I got to take that were more limited, like we said, you know, smaller class sizes, uh, more focus on providing that higher level of, of stimulus and, and of challenge. But day in and day out, I'm just another student, maybe one who enjoyed being at school a little bit more than some of my peers. But I wouldn't say there's a tangible day to day effect, but definitely something I think for my teachers and those around me to kind of have this awareness to understand that like, me, you know, answering questions or asserting that I think I had the best idea is not necessarily some, you know, awful character trait, but just like this confidence in, in my intellect. And so having to, to walk the line between being smart and understanding that I was smart and harnessing that in the best way possible, but not at the expense of everybody else. Well, that idea of the of at the expense of everybody else, one of the questions that's going through my mind here, and, and Kim, I think this is probably for you, is how do you see school districts being able to serve both GT students like Stephen and provide the kinds of, of opportunities that he's looking for, 
as well as the entire gamut of average students, as well as the ones who need more supports and more special programs. That that strikes me as a very, very tall order to try to address and provide what's needed across the entire range. Well, and that is the very essence of public education, Ryan, because that is that is what we do. And that I know there are lots of different alternatives for schooling these days, but um, truly public education is the place that we're going to take them all and we're going to educate them all. And it's a it's a tall order. You're right. And again, it's it takes a lot of, of time and it takes a lot of skill for teachers to really master that. And no doubt, I mean, we're all human. So there are teachers who probably do better with certain populations than others. It's hard for me as a, an advocate, and I'm pretty passionate about gifted education to imagine that teachers may not want to work with gifted students. But once in a while, I come across one that would just rather give that group to somebody else. As Stephen said, they're a dominant group. They're not as easy as people think. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, I think our secondary uh, systems are set up in, in, in a way that makes it a little bit easier and that we do have, you know, the honors and advanced placement, dual credit classes that oftentimes your advanced students are going to just automatically take. I mean, that's where they, na- they kind of navigate toward those. Whereas in elementary school, which is my background, right now I'm working with with all levels, but elementary is where I was for, you know, 20 plus years. And that that is a a really tall order because you've got kiddos uh, at both ends of the spectrum in your class at all all ends of this, you know, all over the spectrum. And you're expected to differentiate for all of them. And that's I guess where I was going with that whole initiative that we're we're trying to um, cluster our you know high ability kids for one reason or another, and I'm not sure where where we ever came up with this idea, but historically, I think a lot of of districts do what we did for many years, which was um, kind of farm out your GT kids so that all teachers have their their token one or two or however many it is, but all teachers had GT kids in their classrooms and. Again, I think that's lonely for our GT kids when they don't have peers in there to to in which to collaborate with. We Pe- did a peers certain, who are peers who are more like them academically. Is like-minded, that what you're right? Sure. We call those like-minded peers, right? That, that they can really um, talk to. Otherwise, you're you're the only one in a class. Again, you're often used as a peer tutor, or you're reading a book in a corner, you know, while the teacher's working with the kiddos to bring them up to speed. And so this is an opportunity for for kids to have a little group in which to collaborate with. And I won't say there aren't struggles with that. I mean, we have a lot of dominant personalities in one class that's an, that you know presents other issues. But ultimately, though, we feel like kids are benefiting from from being together and getting you know to to share their thoughts and and, and again just work with kids that are more more in sync with them in how they think. And I think so, something that maybe doesn't get acknowledged as much as if I'm sitting around in a classroom or another GT student with no real motivation to push yourself, there's only so far you're going to go. If now you've got 10 of these GT students all together, you're going to have them pushing each other, you know, ideally in a friendly and competitive way. And it's going to raise the overall performance, I think, of each of those students as opposed to just regressing to the, the, the average just enough to get by. If you've moved what the bar for averages higher up, then everybody is going to push everybody else to get back to that bar. So on the one hand, 
Putting GT and other advanced students together can create a more rigorous academic environment, as well as carve out space for other students in regular classrooms to thrive. But GT students also face certain challenges to a degree that others may not, like the pressure to excel at everything. And that pressure can be internal or external. One, one of the big pressures that we see, and I would say among your stereotypical gifted student, if there is such a thing, is perfectionism. So many of our gifted students impose pressure upon themselves. Anything less than 100% is not good enough. However, that doesn't always come internally from the student themselves. We as teachers sometimes do that just because a student has the label of being identified as gifted. We expect them to be gifted in everything. And that, that is absolutely not the case. And we can't expect that from them. But again, I've, I've, I've seen it and it's, it's unfortunate. Also parents, parents, and we, and I, I'm not advocating that we should not have high expectations for our very capable kids. I myself tend to have very high expectations for, you know, my own children, my own, my students, Stephen can attest to that, I'm sure. But we need to be cautious about imposing unrealistic expectations. Kids suffer from anxiety. Anxiety is very common among uh, perfectionists. But another cause for anxiety is something that we see in our, again, our stereotypical. There's lots of different giftedness, and we haven't really addressed a lot of that. I'm happy to do that. But their stereotypical kids often have what we call multipotentiality. And that essentially describes a student who is good at many, many things, and they enjoy many things. So they often try to do it all. But um, while we don't recognize this as a a problem necessarily, kind of like feeling sorry for the rich, like nobody really has a lot of empathy for that. (laughs) But it does cause stress and anxiety because students are forced to make choices as to how they spend their time. So it's very difficult for some of our kids to make those decisions because they know that they're giving up something in lieu of something else. And one of the reasons I wanted to invite Stephen today is because Stephen is my classic case of multipotentiality. I believe he even might be guilty of trying to petition his high school guidance counselor's administration to let him add a a period before school and a period after school. Is that maybe true, Stephen? Yeah, wow. so it's funny that we were on the same page about that story because that's where <laughs> I was going to go with it. Um, Let's hear it. A, yeah, so this is a term that, that I had not heard until recently when we were discussing doing this podcast. But I was reading up on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was me. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't think – well, it's not a bad thing, obviously, to be involved in a lot of things – there there does become a point and I had to learn it that being involved in too many things makes you so spread out that you can't commit enough time to be really good at the things that you want to make, you know, a life and a career out of. But yeah, I got to high school and in elementary and middle school, you know, time is kind of carved out of your day to do a lot of things, right? You have a mandatory music class and a mandatory PE class to go to. And then classes you do a little bit of math and a little bit of science and but it's not just like chemistry or biology you kind of hit the the highlights of everything in science Uh, but by the time you get to high school you really have to start specializing i don't know how widespread it is now but in high school i had to pick something that was called an endorsement and it was almost like a major in high school where you would specialize in a certain strand of classes so like there's a STEM endorsement 
And then there was an arts and humanities endorsement or a public service endorsement. And so already by the time I was a freshman, I was being told you have to kind of narrow your focuses now. And it was pitched as a, you know, be prepared for college kind of thing. Well, I was a freshman in high school. I had some idea of what I wanted to do in college, but not really. And so, yeah, I get to register uh, the summer before I was starting high school classes. And I was in a situation where I was going to have to choose between sports, music, and a particular class that I was really interested in. And I'd been playing sports since I was born, basically. I'm not the most athletic, but I love playing sports. I've been a music kid most of my life. But then obviously, like I was going to school for education, for classes. And so it kind of put me in this conundrum that like, wait a second, why am I having to sacrifice? All of these things are good and good for me. And in the idea of preparing for college, all of these things look good on a resume. So why am I having to sacrifice one or multiple of them? At some point, yes, you have to draw the line and stake out a career and whatnot. But I think if we're in middle and high school and telling people you can't do all the things that you're interested in, then we're starting to wade into some dangerous territory. Another challenge gifted students sometimes face, Kim said, is finding peers with whom they can relate. So we kind of alluded to this earlier and that being one of the reasons for our clustering program. We also talked about though, asynchronous development at the beginning of this podcast. And oftentimes we find students who prefer to be in the company of adults. So as I think about my years in the classroom, I remember a little boy who would be standing outside my room every morning uh, when all the other kids were outside on the playground, that was their time to socialize before the bell rang. And he was just waiting so he could talk to me. I remember, you know, going through the library at lunch and seeing lots of my students choosing to spend their lunchtime or recess time, I should say, in the library. And I even recall a little girl I had. I ran into her at summer camp at our health and fitness center that's not far from my house. And she was, uh, while all the other kids were in the swimming pool having a good time, she was in a corner reading a book under the umbrella And I think that for many adults, myself included, at one time, myself included, that could be cause for alarm. I would have tried to get my students, and I actually have a very introverted, gifted daughter, and I really tried to to make sure that they were socializing more with their, their peers. But I've done a lot of research on this over the last couple of years on the needs of our quieter students. And so my perspective has kind of changed a little bit. And that I think educators need to to honor these differences and accept that not all of our students want to go play outside with their friends and they don't all want to do group work either, which is something that we've really um, honed in a lot at school. Some of them really do want to work alone. Some of them need that solitude. You know, when they go to school, they're with kids all day long. So when they have those opportunities, sometimes they just need to take that break that, you know, that break from, from other people. Ultimately, we need to get to know our students well enough to know the difference between what their personal preferences are and when they really do crave more social interaction and maybe just aren't sure how to relate to their peers, because that is a real thing, too. And we have to help our students learn to do that if they want to. But I think forcing it upon them, which I think a lot of educators tend to do, we see somebody 
alone and we think, oh, what's wrong? And it's not always that there's something wrong. Sometimes that's their choice. I think that's the whole point of this whole conversation as far as GT education goes is you have to understand a student and accept that they're different. You know, there there could be a very concerted effort to just say like, we're going to teach all kids not to hijack common core, but to a common core, right? Or we can choose to acknowledge that there's differences between students that require different learning environments and thus is the separation and this new like cluster program between GT students and students who aren't at that level. And then even within that community, you know, as we're learning, there's differences there. And so I think that's just kind of the whole point we're trying to, to make in the first place is to educate well. You have to be able to acknowledge differences. Stephen, as you were growing up, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your perspective here. You talked about starting in kindergarten. You talked about your experience. Did you feel different when you were uh, when you were in school? Is that something that you felt strongly? So in the sense of did I feel different? Not necessarily because I thought that what I was going through was just what everybody went through. But a lot of those more kind of classic symptoms that Mr. Stewart was talking about, you know, like feeling more comfortable talking with adults. It's taken me most of my young life to get comfortable talking with people that are more in my circle as opposed to talking to adults, you know. And so at the time, I just thought that was normal that like you had your friends and then you also had good relationships with your teachers or with your parents' friends or, you know, whoever it would be. I can recognize now that that was a a way that I acted out of not having that kind of circle of like-minded peers to establish connections with. I can tell you that I definitely look at my GT classes and my GT teachers. They're probably, if you asked me to name all of my teachers, I couldn't do it, but the GT ones would probably be the ones that first came to mind because there was a much more intentional desire by them to see me grow as opposed to just get me through their class to meet the, you know, a state curriculum or whatnot. Not that that's what teachers are doing, but I'd see GT teachers for two, three to five years as opposed to just having them for one class or one semester and then moving on to the next class. If I were to ask you, looking back at your experience in GT throughout your school career, uh, you find yourself now in college, an engineering student, have a pretty cool internship. Clearly, yeah. this has this has done a lot for you, or this has right. helped you. What would you say were the the real formative things about this yeah. program that that were beneficial to you? Yeah, oh, this is a this is a softball. You're throwing me the easy ones now. So something that we did in elementary school every year was we would take a family field trip, and this kind of goes back to what you're talking about. You know, like what do GT students do for fun? You know, well, sometimes our fun was a weekend trip that was enrichment more than a normal class would take. So it was something that we organized, you know, for a Friday, Saturday, maybe a Sunday, where we try and get outside of the normal classroom environment. And it always had something to do with whatever it was we were studying in our GT class that year. So the year that we studied like environment and like ecology, we were supposed to go to Moody Gardens, but some hurricane hit that year. Couldn't tell you what it was in Houston. And so we couldn't go on that trip. And the year that we studied law and justice, we went to the state capitol in Austin for a weekend and met with one of the justices on the Texas Supreme Court. 
and got to see like in person where law and justice came to life in our society. But definitely the most impactful one of these for me was first grade. We were studying space. And so we did a family field trip to Johnson Space Center in Houston, where we spent a weekend, you know, got to tour the sites, see some of the NASA buildings, um, see mission control. Meet. We got to meet with an astronaut. And I can tell you, I still have his picture framed in my bedroom because I went home from that weekend field trip and told my mom, I'm going to go to space. I'm going to go to Mars, which is a bold assumption of me to make. Because the next year I told her, that's scary. I'm going to be a lawyer. And then realized that would be boring and said, I want to go back to the whole space thing, but I want to be pushing the buttons to send people to space and not going to space myself. But I can tell you it's a direct result of that trip and that enrichment and that year of study that what, 14, 13, 14 years later, like I work here at NASA now and am doing these co-ops with the intention of converting to a full-time job when I graduate. And so sure, that was, you know, one small moment that kind of has set me on this course. But if every GT student gets to experience that one small moment over the course of their three, five, 10 years in gifted programs, well, then imagine the kind of courses that you're setting all these students on. I want to piggyback on that and just emphasize the importance. You know, we've talked about this tall order for teachers and all that they, you know, are expected to do. But anytime you can make those real world connections to the learning that takes place in the classroom, I mean, that's the goal. And it's really important that gifted students get to see that connection because typically they have an innate desire to apply what they're learning. Like just learning it is not enough. They've got to see how is this used in the real world. And I want to make sure to highlight kind of the, the breadth of my experiences. You know, my elementary school GT teacher is on this call. So I'm going to talk about my elementary experiences when I have the chance But while that trip that I was talking about to NASA was kind of this formative, like inspirational moment, my senior year of high school, I took a class that's offered through the GT program, but is not exclusive to GT students called ISM, which stands for Independent Study Mentorship. And though it's not exclusive to GT students, it has the same goal in kind of to provide like a learning avenue for students that you wouldn't be able to get in a traditional classroom. And so you would choose a a topic of study that was interesting to you, something that you wouldn't normally be able to find in your regular high school class. So I was at this point looking into aerospace engineering. So I went and studied that for the year. Some of my good friends studied veterinary medicine or One of them worked with a friend they had in the FBI doing criminal investigative um, work, or the list goes on and on. And so I spent time working with a professional in the engineering field that had no association with Northside School District or my high school. I just cold called him and said, hey, this is a class I'm doing. Would you be willing to devote an hour of time a week? to mentoring me and kind of helping me to learn what this field looks like. It was kind of a try before you buy for college class. So I had a really good experience that said like, okay, now I have some kind of experience in what engineering and the aerospace industry looks like. I want to pursue this in college. And other people, uh, one of my best friends in high school studied like nuclear 
engineering, but in the sense of like, how would we react to a nuclear um, explosion or a nuclear war or a nuclear um, accident, which was such like a niche topic, but he's like, you know, okay, this wasn't all the, you know, movie type action adventure that I thought it would be. It was cool to do it in a limited situation, but I wouldn't make a career out of this kind of thing. And so that was an equally important exposure that I wouldn't have gotten in a traditional classroom setting that has helped me get to the point where I am now. So GT programs, I think, in middle and high school look a lot different than they do this kind of pull out and cluster model that we were talking about earlier, but can still have some really significant impact on students. So I'm really glad that Stephen touched on on that. What Stephen alludes to is what I consider to be the pinnacle program of GT, and that is our junior, senior level independent study mentorship. And I love his try before you buy because he is exactly right. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a field in which you want to, to go into, but I would say the majority of our students do choose that as Stephen did. And the experience you get will either at the end of a full year of studying with an expert in that field will either determine that, you know, your idea to pursue this in college is right on or it is not. And so you've saved yourself some, you know, time and effort and your parents some money probably in, in knowing that from the get-go. And so we're really proud to offer the independent study mentorship. And while it is an elective and students have to elect to take it, I always encourage, if I get the opportunity, I always encourage, you know, GT students to, to, to take ISM because it is, it is an incredible opportunity for kids, I think. That is, that is terrific. Uh, and, and thank you both for sharing. I'd like to pose one uh, final question to each of you. And that is our, our listeners work in school districts all over the country. They don't all work in gifted programs. They uh, hold a variety of different roles in, in schools, but if you were to impart one takeaway from someone else seeking to grow or improve their GT program at their school or their district, what would it be? So I think an all too common misconception is that these kids will be okay without, with just minimal intervention, without some direct you know, intervention for them. But when that philosophy is enacted, students do not learn at the rate in which they're really able, but it's actually more than that. Sometimes we lose them. Today, we're talking to Stephen, who is a self-motivated kid, but they're not all like that. And sometimes they get lost in the system. Sometimes they give up on school and sometimes they give up on more than school. So what I would hope anyone listening would take away is to recognize gifted students as a special population who needs direct intervention in order to maximize their full learning potential. I truly believe that we have students sitting in our classrooms right now who can find ways to improve cybersecurity, solve real world problems like how we're going to feed the masses as our population continues to grow and even cure and prevent diseases <laughs> so that we may never see a pandemic of this proportion, right? But they're not going to do that alone. As educators, we absolutely need to meet the needs of our struggling students. But that cannot be at the expense of our more advanced students who are ready for more. So you're going to laugh. This is a letter that I wrote a year and a half ago to my state representatives when there was a House bill um, being debated that would have eliminated 
mandatory funding for GT programs. So districts could have chosen to fund GT programs if they wanted to, but no longer would have been mandated to do so. Um, and something that I wrote was contrary to popular belief, GT students don't just get by in regular classrooms. Instead, these students are often at risk of being left behind by an educational system that fails to push them to achieve their full potential. And I think that is my biggest passion in, you know, being on this show. And sure, I'm a student, but I still answer the call to advocate for GT when I can, because, you know, I've worked with some of the best and brightest from my elementary, middle, high school, you know, now in college and now kind of all over the country working at NASA. And it takes people who are as smart and much smarter than I am to do the things that we're trying to do at NASA or the equivalent in a hundred different fields, you know, across the country. And so if we just kind of leave these GT students to themselves, like we were talking about at the very beginning and expect them to be peer mentors or to read books, that's our greatest source of untapped potential for improvement, you know, in standardized testing scores, which is a whole nother debate, but that's something that we as a country and educational system doesn't do a spectacular job in all the way up through, you know, real world careers, work, societal impact. And I think it starts with something like GT programs because you need those people that are going to rise to the top of their respective fields one day. But that nurturing starts in kindergarten and first grade. You know, my dream is to, to be at the top of my field um, in aerospace one day. But without that first grade trip to NASA, it never maybe would have come to fruition. And so definitely anything that can be done to not leave students behind that need remedial support or things like that but by the same token we can't do that expense of leaving behind these gifted students i'm so glad we thought to invite steven oh my goodness i am too that <laughs> was think you'd be hearing from that letter from two years ago did you i did not expect you to have that that's pretty impressive steven however the fact that you still have the uh, astronaut picture which i knew that by the way your mother had shared that with me that you still have that picture that's uh that tells a lot about you know what it meant to you to be part of, of, you know, to, to be part of the program. But again, he's not alone. It's an, it's a program that there are a lot of kids who that's why they, that's why they get up to go to school. You know, I, I heard that over and over, over the course of, you know, my career, if we were, if we didn't have this GT program, we wouldn't be at school because that's where their kids are really feeling like they're, you know, their needs are being targeted. So, yeah. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you both again. Thank you. I just, I want to thank you for including gifted education. I know that, you know, your job is running the, the, the gamut of educational topics. And so anytime that we can get gifted education on the radar of educational leaders, I, I welcome that and applaud that. So thank you, Ryan, for including us. Yeah. And for taking a college student on your show too. I appreciate it. <laughs> Kim Stewart is an instructional support teacher for gifted and talented and advanced academics at Northside ISD in Texas. Stephen McNearney is currently a sophomore at the University of Maryland College Park and is completing a co-op at NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston. We regularly release stories like this one on Field Trip. 
You can subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts, and I encourage you to do so. There's plenty more where this came from, and I would hate for you to miss it. Field Trip is a podcast from Frontline Education, makers of school administration software. That includes Frontline gifted and talented management, helping you identify students for your program, manage the gifted process, track progress, and make informed decisions about your gifted and talented program based on real-time data. For more information, visit FrontlineEducation.com. For Frontline Education, recording from a makeshift home studio, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.